to everyone. May it be a chodesh, great simcha, joy, everlasting joy, the greatest joy of all, the coming of Mashiach, which were so ripe and so ready and so, so, everything is, everything is already clearly, clearly over, overripe, already for the Giyula. So, chodesh adar, Mishanechnes Adam Arben B'Simcha is the Simcha of Geula, of redemption. The redemption of Purim, the redemption of Pesach, and ultimately, of course, the redemption, the greatest redemption of all. So this is the season of Geula. So may it already bring a, a full and complete Geula for all the Jewish people and for all of the entire world. Okay, Parshas Truma is a very much, very much um, associated with the time of Simcha, because uh, in the parshas of Simcha, the parsha of Geula, of redemption, the, par- the time of redemption, which is Adar, and then going into Nisan, we read these parshios, all dealing with making the home for God, because that's the whole point of the redemption. The whole point of redemption is not only getting out of the constrictions and whatever it is that has been bothering us, and impeding us, and constricting us, but the real point of the redemption is that we, as we are, who we are, a world, a world full of creations becomes the ultimate facilitator and the ultimate conveyor of, the, of God's deepest, highest self, where Gashem comes to live in his home, which is in this physical world. That is the purpose of redemption, and that is the, the essence, of, essence of redemption. So the, these partios are the partials of joy. Because this is the joy. We will not really be happy until we, we are true to our truest selves. And what is our truest selves? Our truest selves is, is to be conduits and be facilitators and a home and a keli and a vessel uh, for Hashem. And Parshas Truma begins the process of building a mishkan. So in Parshas Truma, right in the beginning, the Torah lists... <coughs> the donations that should be given for the Mishkan. What are the donations? And the Torah says, from all the different things that you can bring, I think there are 13 or 15 items. So it says, in Pasuk Hei, and ram skins dyed red, and tachash skins. Okay. So ram skins we know. We know what a ram is. A ram is a, a ram, a large, a larger sheep. As it gets older and larger, it becomes a ram. Um, what is a tachash? So Rashi says what tachash is. 
Rashi says, Tchasha min chaya. Tachash is a type of an animal, of a wild animal. Chaya is a wild animal. Chaya is not only a living being, but a wild animal, compared to a domestic animal, which is called the behemoth. So a tachash is a wild animal. And Rashi continues, he says, And it only existed for a temporary time. This wild beast, this wild beast, the tachash, only was only, um, only present in the world for a short period of time. It had many colors. Again, so we're talking about this gift they would use in the building of the tabernacle. So one of the things that they used was a... They made the um, tapestries, the coverings for the Mishkan, the Uriahs of the Mishkan, the covering of the tabernacle, was made out of animal hide. The upper ones, the lower ones were made out of uh, goats here and different type of wool. But the upper one was made out of animal hide. And in itself, there were two of them. One was made out of ram skins, hides of rams dyed red. And the other one is made out of tachash skin. So the question is, what's the tachash? So Rashi says, it's a type of an animal. Okay. But Rashi adds to that, this, uh, this animal only existed temporarily. It had many colors. So Rashi is giving us a little bit of information about this animal. It had many colors. And then Rashi brings, and that's why the translate, the Targum, who is the translator, says, when he, when, he, when he translates the word Tachash, he calls it Sazgoina. The word Sazgoina is Aramaic. It has within it two words. Sas. Sas means it rejoices. Goina comes from the word Givanim. Givanim means colors. So it rejoices with its colors. So Rashi says, Shesas, this animal is joyous, umispoer, and it boasts in its colors. The animal is very self-aware of its beautiful colors. And it feels very proud of it. And that's why they call this animal Sazgoina, because it's proud of its colors. Okay, this is the commentary of Rashi on, on, the, um, on the Tachash. Now, this that Rashi says that this is a Minchaya, this is a type of a wild animal, is actually a dispute in the Talmud, there's one in the in the Babylonian Talmud. It says that this is a min behema. It's a type of domestic animal. That's what it says in the the Talmud Bavli. In the Jerusalem Talmud, it says that the sages that there's an argument if it's a type of a uh, behema, if it's a type of domestic animal. Or it is a minchaya, or it's a time type of a wild animal. So Rashi, for whatever reason, accepts, seems to be citing that this is a wild animal. 
But it says everywhere that even though it's a wild animal, it was a kosher wild animal. Because there are kosher wild animals. For instance, a deer is not considered a domestic animal. It's a wild animal, but it's kosher. So this was a kosher animal. They didn't need to eat it, that not. They weren't eating it. This was just used for the temple. But generally, we know there is a halacha that says that you're not allowed to use for a mitzvah only things that are edible. That means stuff that are from the non-kosher world, just like you're not allowed to eat them or consume them, you would not be allowed to use them for a mitzvah. For instance, tefillin has made out of straps. The straps are animal hide, animal skin. So it has to be from a kosher animal. Or you can't make parchment from a non-kosher animal. So this is a kosher animal. The question is, I mean, Rashi, we always know, is always a commentator who always sticks to the very simple translation of whatever he, whatever, the, you know, on the most simplest of levels. How does Rashi, now, why is he kind of sticking his nose in into this argument, whether it's a, a domestic animal or whether it is a wild animal? And how would you determine, how would you decide that from just the word in the Pasuk? The Pasuk just says tachash. You don't really know from the word tachash if it's an animal or if it's a, uh, if it's a chaya or a behemoth, if it's a wild animal, if it's a beast, or if it's... Uh, okay, that's question number one over here. Now Rashi continues, and Rashi says, It only was at a certain period of time. That means this animal is extinct. Don't go to the zoo. Don't go on an exploration somewhere to find a tachash if you want to know really what the color of the Mishkan was, how beautiful it was, because this animal is extinct, it doesn't exist. Rashi said it only existed on that period of time. Now this too is stated in the, in the Midrash and also in the Jerusalem Talmud, that this animal is extinct. They're a little more dramatic over there. Over there they say that God created it specifically for the Mishkan. That was its initial intent that God created only for that time. And once its usage was used, and they found them in the desert, they hunted them, they found them in the desert, and then it was purposely from above, it was nignaz, it was hidden. Simply God made it go extinct. He made it disappear. That's what the Midrash says. Rashi is not as dramatic. Rashi just says it only existed during that time. How does Rashi know this? Again, Rashi is not sticking, he's not deriving from the earlier uh, writings of, of the, you know, Rashi's, whatever he's commentating, all of his commentaries, because he's, he's deducing it, he's reading the verse, and from the Pasuk itself he sees it. And the answer is a very simple thing. How do we know it was only in that time? Because if we say this animal was a kosher animal, so the student who's learning the Chumash and he comes across Oireis Tachashim, Tachash skins, and he's wondering, I mean, we don't have that many kosher animals to eat. Our kosher animals. And then, so where is this Tachash? Why don't we uh, know of Tachash? So therefore, Rashi has to right away say, that's because it only doesn't exist anymore. It's an animal that's extinct. So that's why you know, we don't uh, visit this animal in the zoo. We don't see it around different places because the animal is extinct. It's not here. Fine. Then we continue. It says, oh, but Rashi doesn't 
But the, the extra ideas that the sages say, the Midrash says that it was created special for the Mishkan and then God uh, from above, they made it go extinct or they, uh, it, like the word is venignas, it was hidden. That, that is true, obviously, because the Midrash says it, but we can't derive that from the Pasuk. From the simple story that says over here, the Oireis Tchashem, the, the animal hide, the tachash skins, there's no way to deduce this idea from the simple reading of the verse that this animal was an animal that existed only in that particular time. Fine. Then Rashi adds, and Rashi says, Vahar it had many colors. So now the question is, where does he take that from? Well, where does Rashi know that it had many colors? And the answer, obviously, again, is very simple. When the verse says you should take these skins, and again, it's an animal that we don't even have today, so one has got to wonder what was so special about that animal hide, that, they, that, that those were the skins they were told to use. Especially since there was another animal hide that's mentioned right before that, and that is ram skins. But by the ram skins, it says that the ram skins were dyed red that the, the skins were brought, and they were brought, and they had to dye them. And it wasn't just skins. Once they dyed them with a, crim, with a crimson or some kind of a scarlet red, then uh, this was usable for the Mishkan. But if it was not dyed, then... But then you got to wonder, so what's the... Why the Tachash? But the Tachash doesn't say that it was dyed. It just says, well, it is so on the simple, you've got to wonder, you say, why, why, why are they bringing this for the Mishkan? And we'll see later that this was the upper, upper cover of the Mishkan. This was the top, top, top. This was the most external part. This is what everybody sees on the outside. Actually, not on the sides, because it didn't hang down on the sides. But if you've got a helicopter view from the top, or if you're looking down from a hill or something like that, this is the covering of the Mishkan. The upper top was this Tachash skin. So what's so special about the Tachash? So from here you know that what? It had, many, it had many colors. It was a beautiful animal. It was an extremely, extremely beautiful animal. And that's why this was the animal that, uh, that God says, use its things, because in the Mishkan, you want to make the Mishkan beautiful. You had a lot of gold and silver and copper. The Mishkan, the tabernacle, was stunning. So, in, so we understand that the Tachash must have been a very special animal. It had many colors. And then Rashi continues, and Rashi says, "Lekach metargum." That's why the targum, the translator, translates "sasgaina." That's a proof, because "sasgaina" means, as we said earlier, it's proud of its colors. "Sas givanim," it's proud of its colors. Fine. The question over here is a little bit just in the wording that Rashi uses. Lekach metargum, therefore the, the targum translates. Sazgoina, and Rashi still goes ahead and gives a whole explanation on the targum. What's the meaning of this Aramaic word? Again, the word is sazgoina, Rashi says. Shesas, she rejoices, umispoir, and she boasts, bigavanim shaloyin, her colors. Again, of those who study Rashi a lot, know that Rashi is very, very concise and very careful with his words. 
the proper uh, wording for Rashi over here, in his usual style, would have been, he wants to prove it from the Targum. So Rashi should put these words, kitargumo, like the Targum says. One word, sazgoina. That's it, Rashi should say. Kitargumo, sazgona. And you can take a look at the word sazgona and realize that there is the word givanim over there, colors. So you see, it was full of colors. It seems to be an extra emphasis. Lekach metargum. That's why it's almost like Rashi wants to explain the targum, which Rashi doesn't do. He's not a commentary on targum. He's a, tar he's a commentator on the Chumash. Lekach metargum. Therefore, he translates. Saz And Rashi goes in a long discussion to say what it means. That it rejoices and it boasts with its colors. So it seems like there's something more to this Rashi, something deeper to the Rashi, and that we're missing. And when we figure that out, then the whole, all the wording will just click. It will be very, very, very perfect. So the Rebbe says an interesting thing. He says, when you go to the word Tchashim, what Rashi really was, when Rashi says Min Chaya, that this is a type of an animal, Rashi doesn't mean in any way to exclude min behema. That he means it's a chaya, it's a wild beast, and not a min behema, not a type of a domestic animal. That's not what he means. All Rashi wants to say is that this is actually an animal. When it says, it's actually an animal. Why? Of course it's an animal. No. One can actually read the verse. Oirois tachashem means hides that are dyed with the color of tachash. The tachash is a certain color, it's a certain dye. And then you would read it like this. Oirois elim, the ram skins, which came in two colors, skins of rams. Me'adamim, they were dyed red. And they were also techashim, they were also dyed with tachash color. And there actually is a statement in the, in the Talmud that uh, refers to tachash as a color. So to, in, order to, in order to refute, in order, not, in order that you shouldn't make that mistake, and read oirois techashim, meaning hides that are colored with the color of Tachash, Rashi tells you, Minchai, it's a living being. He doesn't mean it's an animal and not a wild beast and not a... No, he could have said, Min Behema too, but he says, Minchai, it's a living animal, it's a living being. And, and how do we know that? How does Rashi know that it's not a color, a Tachash color from? Again, how you know the sages say, but that's not, that's not where Rashi's coming from. Rashi's, again, reading the verse on the most literal level and trying to get away with literal translation of the Pasuk as much as he can without having to accommodate a Midrash. Okay, just from the simple read. How do you know from the simple read what pushed Rashi to say that it wasn't a die, a tachash die? And the answer to that is because it has an extra word, probably it says two times v'oirois. Now it's if it would have meant hides, dyed red and hides dyed tachash it should have said 
Oirois elim, ram skins. Me'adamim utchashim. Me'adamim red, utchashim, and died tachash. The fact that it adds again the word, ve'oirois tchashim, and hides, is implying that it's not the same hide that we spoke about before. It's not the hide from the ram. It's a different hide. If it's not a ram hide, which, which hide is it? And then we'll just leave you to guess. It could be a hide from anything. And since the Torah doesn't say, so therefore it's, it, it makes more sense to say that the oirais itself, the, the hides themselves, are from an animal, that this is a, a hide from a different animal. And which animal is it? It's from the tachash. And tachash is actually an animal. So that's, the, that's how we derive it from, and that's what Rashi wanted over here. That the animal, it's, that the tachash is an animal. Okay, and as Rashi says, it was only for a period of time. It had many colors, very good. And then when Rashi gets to the targum, lekach metargum, that's why the translation translates sasgoina. So Rashi is the reason why Rashi is saying shesasum space doesn't. What he wants to prove over here, very strong, is that it's actually an animal. Earlier we thought that, it, that Rashi wants to prove just that it has a lot of colors. It's a colorful... Then, then all it would, would have needed, as we said earlier, Rashi should have just says, Kitargumo, like its translation is, Sazgoina, which would mean something with many colors. But Rashi doesn't want that. Rashi wants to emphasize it's actually an animal. So therefore Rashi is translating... Sas goina means more than it has colors. Shesas, it rejoices. Who rejoices? The living animal. It's a, it's a living creature. And while it's alive, it has its colors. It has many colors. So it rejoices and it boasts with its colors. So that's what he wants with the Targum. And that's why we understand why he has to say it length. Because his emphasis is sas. Because if you just say the word lekach metargum sasgaina, sasgaina tells you it has colors. So maybe it would mean that the tachash dye is a colorful dye. It's a mixture. Actually, some translate sasgaina, sas meaning sheish. It's like the word in Aramaic of six. It's sheish gvanim, six colors. So then you would learn that what? That it's a colorful type of a dye made up of six colors, some kind of a blend that's called a tachash, a tachash dye. That's why it's not enough to say lekach metargum. That's why, the, I'm sorry, ketarguma is sasgoina. What does Rashi have to say? He says lekach metargum sasgoina, shesas, giving you a translation which is telling you shesas, that the animal is proud. And that shows you it's an animal. That this animal is a colorful animal that has, and again, the colors aren't added to it after it's dead. It's, it's shesos. It rejoices in its colors. It misspire and it boasts. Begavonim shaloy in its colors. The question is only over here. Again, every word in Rashi is so meticulous. What's the emphasis over here when he says shesos? It rejoices. Umispoer and it boasts. 
And boasting seems not too good when you're dealing with a Mishkan, right? So why, why, why are we emphasizing over here, not only that it's happy, but that it boasts with its colors. But actually in this, Rashi is actually giving you an understanding of why this, this, um, this donation to the Mishkan and this, um, this product or this uh, item that was used was very, very special. That's why it actually made its way to the very, very, very top, to the ceiling, to the roof of the Mishkan. It's because Shasas, because it rejoices, umispoer, and it boasts pigavanim shalai. What does that mean? It means since the animal boasts with its colors, it means that the colors of the animal is very much associated with the very identity of the animal. It's not an external thing that it happens. Oh, I'm doing nice colors. It's like you ever see a peacock who gets so excited about opening up its things and its feathers. It's almost like that gives the peacock its entire, its entire being. You know, it parades with its colors. And that's what this animal is. This animal is all about its colors. And, and that's its identity. So the colors are part of the identity of the animal so much so that the, tr- that the translation of the word sasgaina that the translation of the word, the, no, the way that the Targum refers to this animal, that its name is Sazgaina. The way we refer to this animal, not like a peacock, when you see peacock is what? In the word peacock, you don't have colors. You know that a peacock has got a lot of colors. But over here, it's actually its name. Its name is that it boasts in its colors. That's how essential its colors are to it. So why is that so important? What's important is, is as follows. We know that there's different forms of life. There's the inanimate that is also alive, but it's quiet. It's in Hebrew, we don't call inanimate inanimate. In Hebrew, we refer to inanimate as silent, domain. Domain means the silent. Because everything has life. It's just not everything expresses life. Okay, but the inanimate is silent like a stone, minerals, and so forth. And in the Mishkan, you had a lot of donations from the domain. You had gold, silver, copper. And then you also had someach. Someach is vegetation, plants. In the Mishkan, you had donations from the plants. You had the wood, atzeshitim, and the like. And also you had different spices, and so on and so forth, things that you donated. And olive oil, all coming from the plant world. And then a higher form of life is chai, is the living. And in the Mishkan, we donated of living beings as well. We donated, um, as we said before, first of all, there were things that come from living beings, like wool and goats here, come from living beings. But over there, the donation is not the living being itself. The living being itself does not make its way into the Mishkan. Something that is cut off from a living being, which now is an inanimate, here, once you cut it off, it's inanimate. But it came from a living being. So it has a certain quality. Now the ram skins are of a higher quality. Why? Because this itself is an animal. This itself is from the realm of Chai. If it's from the realm of Chai, it has a higher quality. And if it has a higher quality, it's considered a greater, more significant in the, in the, in the, in the donation of the Mishkan. And what's even greater than that? Oh, but the, the, the ram skins... The ramskins, 
the skin itself is from the realm of animal, but the whole beauty of the skin, the color of it, which is what you're going to see, what is going to be on display, is an added dye, and the dyes come from the tzomeach, come from the plants that they make the dyes from. So even though part of it is a donation, part of it is a, has the element of chai in it, but it's not completely chai. Because the color of it, what is attractive about it, is an added thing that is added later. And it's not coming from the chai. The tachash, the colors themselves are part of the chai, part of the animal. And it's not just secondary to the animal. It's very much at the core being part of the animal's persona. What's the animal all about? What's its identity? It's a proud animal that's proud with its colors. So when you're taking this animal with its colors and it's being donated to the Mishkan, the donation, the complete donation is from the element of, of chai, of living beings, which is a higher donation when it comes to donating for Hashem, for the ultimate making a home for Hashem in this world, this is considered of a superior quality and of a higher donation. Now let's take that a little deeper. The importance of having... Oh, so, and again, and that's why Rashi is, is emphasizing that the animal is just, not only that it's happy, umispoer, mispoer means the the colors the colors um, <laughs> the colors make the make the animal because the animal is boasting with its colors that's what it has that's what make that's what that's what makes it important that's what makes it unique is its colors that's what it shows off so that means that's very very much associated to its to its true being but on a deeper level, this is very, very deeply connect connected to the very essence of what the Mishkan is all about. Very important, connected to the essence of what the Mishkan is supposed to represent and what the Mishkan is supposed to display and what it's supposed to, supposed to reveal. And that is that um, Chai, when we say Chai, True meaning of chai, chai means alive. Why is a chai called chai? Because life is very much part of it. A tzomeach, a plant, has life to it. But an animal, its entire being is life. And the human is, is a higher creature, a higher being, because it also has intelligence and so on and so forth, and it communicates through speech. But the animal is fully a fully living being. What is the true meaning of chai? Who is real chai? Real, real chai is only God. God is the true essence of life. Who is really alive? That's what we say about Hashem. Chai hoilamim. Hashem is called the life of the worlds. Or the one who lives eternally. So chai is referring to God. So now... The question is, so when we take a look at, at life, everything in this world, and we know that the truth is that everything that is in existence and everything obviously that is alive is living and existing 
Because the Abishter, because God is enlivening it. God is giving it life. And God is responsible for its existence. In the words of the Rambam, in the words of Maimonides, Kol all of existence, doesn't exist. Elomamitas himatso, only from the truth of God's existence. Every existence that exists exists only because God, God is imbuing it with existence. It's derived from Hashem's existence. But when we look at every creature and every being, when we ask, what is it about the creature that is reflecting God, that is actually deriving its, its, its what aspect of our existence are we, are we is nothing other than the Eberster's input. What element? So there's three things to every existence. There is its very, the very beingness of it. The thing exists, meaning to say that it does not not exist. The fact that it, it exists, it's within, it, it's, it's real within the universe. God made it to be. That's one thing. And that we share with all creatures. Doesn't make a difference. And that there's no uniqueness. Everything, whether it's, a, whether it's a, an insect or a massive galaxy, share the same phenomenon is that they are and they're not not. Right? Let's think about all the gazillion possibilities that don't exist. I mean, obviously, once we're thinking about them, we're giving them some kind of an existence, at least in our, hyper and at least in our imagination, we're giving them some type of a, of a possible existence. But I'm saying that really, we can never imagine all the possibilities that could have existed and God never created, so they don't exist. But they really don't. There's, there's, there's whatever is not. So whatever is not, is, is not. It's, we're talking about whatever is. And whatever is, whether it's a cloud, um, a fish, a human, a monkey, a, a color, a stone. It's all, everybody shares the same thing, is that there is beingness to us. And where does the beingness come from? So that is very clear, that the beingness, the essential beingness of everything, the only one who is, the only true being, the only one who has existence is God. Everything else could possibly, could exist or could not exist. And really should not exist and only exist because the true being of, of beingness, being that entity or wish that entity to exist and that's why it exists. So we can understand that our nucleus of our existence, what I mean by the nucleus meaning, it's very substance of that I exist, that I find myself in, in reality, in beingness, I am an is from one of the things that is, that is-ishness comes from God. God is the true is, and he's sharing is with everything. That's what the Ramam says, let me tell me more Oh, but then there is the unique individual characteristics of each individual creature and each individual being. So the characteristics of each being, uh, for instance, that water is liquid and that it's usually cool and it goes in a downward flow and fire is hot and, burn, and, and, it, and it rises upward and so forth and, and, and glowing. 
bright color or whatever, the color of fire. These essential characters which make and, and distinguish each creature and each being in making it what it is. Does that also, does that belong, do those properties belong to us? Or are those properties also, that existence is also just a reflection of the divine existence. So we know, for instance, that everything that exists in creation has to first exist within the divine. That means that all the colors that exist, exist, for instance, in the spherot. The spherus has all the colors. The spherus have cold and hot, soft and hard, tall and short. There isn't a characteristic that exists within the world that originates in creation. Obviously, God is simple with utter simplicity, and he doesn't have, he's not complex. And he doesn't have a gazillion different features, because then, then it would contradict his unity. That's an essence. But when God decides to create a world, he, 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 he originates within himself all the originate, all, everything that is going to make up the unique characteristics of each creature and every being. So really, we don't have anything of our own. Our existence is not ours. Our existence is the existence of God. And our unique features that make up our, our characteristics and our personality traits of what we're all about, that too. And when I say personality, before I was talking about personality traits of fire and water, how about our personalities of human beings? Every person has a unique personality and a unique character. Is that yours originally you? No. Yeah, it says every person is created in the image of God. So, so to speak, Hashem has the character of every human being ever to live. And then He's just imprinting Himself this possible characteristic into, onto the, into this person and into that person. And so. so we are the created version. It's almost like He's stamping that image onto clay and that's what we are. So that too is not original. Our characteristics is also derived from him. So that's the second thing that there is in creation. And what's the third thing that there is in creation? The third thing that creation is the certain elements that are simply just, um, are just the most external element of things. We might call it, um, we might call it, uh, give me a second. We might call it, uh, I can't believe I forgot this word right now and I need it. I need the words. I'm not going to get away without it. No, no, no. I'm looking for, um, when you say appearance, um, you want to talk about, you want to do something and you want to give it a good appearance. Um, what is it called? The general realm of appearance. Um, not, 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 ik, not a click, uh, no, um, uh, aesthetics. Aesthetics. How about aesthetics? The aesthetics that there are in the world. For, okay, let, let's say you know yourself. You have a certain character. Okay? And that, that makes up your pers personality. And we understand that our personality is very, very important of who we are and unique. There's only one person that's like me. There's only one person that's you. Each and every one of us has a unique personality. 
In addition to that, one person has a little bit more of a pointy nose and the other one has a little bit more of a round nose. The other one has an indented, you know, more of a cheek and the other one has a little bit more out. Everybody's complexion is different. Which, think of it, could you be you and not exactly in the same, with, 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 with the same color? Maybe if your eyes wouldn't be blue eyes and it would be a little bit more on the grayish side? It would still be you. Of course, I mean, obviously, we all have our image of what we're made, but is that a, that, that's aesthetics. God attached a certain, a certain, a certain way of that, that I look and you look, and every person has a different look. Is that essential to your character? No. It's very external. It's almost like every, after everything was finished, Hashem decided to have fun. And like, you know, play around with every human face and make them all different. So now, the, the question is, is that yours? Or is that too a reflection <coughs> of God's truths? Of Hashem's, of, 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 of Hashem's existence, of His true existence. The, the, the most external, superficial aesthetics that there are in creation. So we got like this. We got the core beingness of every existence that's coming from God and there's no other source for it. And that's a given. The unique characteristics that make this world so colorful, so unique, so, so variety, that they give it the world its, 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 its complexity and its richness. Because you don't have just beingness where everything is just one gray sl uh, 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 you know, slob. But, but everything, the, the world is, is unique with, 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 with myriads of different features and life beings, each one unique with its own character and its own... Okay, that too is coming and has no other existence but from the truth of his existence. But the small little external final touches that there are to, to a creature and to a being... That too has no other existence other than the existence of God. That's its truth. So exactly what you look like to the tiniest little details of your feature is something about the divine, about divine expression. And, this, and that is true about every aspect of every creature and every detail of every plant and every color, if you go to the aquarium and you see all the different types of fish that there are, and in each one there is something of God that's being expressed in the, in the, in the most external uh, aspects of, 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 of things that don't seem to have any essential meaning other than just aesthetics. And that's the significance of this animal. The significance of this animal is that its most external feature is connected to its being a min chai. Chai, as we said earlier, what is the real meaning of chai? Who lives? God is alive. That really, that, 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 that uh, we're saying on the simple meaning, it means that the animal itself, who the animal is and what it is, is elevated. Its entire being is, 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 is uh, it's praising itself, it's boasting itself. With what? It identifies with its colors. Its colors make, make the animal who the animal is. If chai means God, 
If Chai means, means Hashem, we're saying something spectacular now. That the uniqueness of, the, of this animal, of the Tachash animal, is that it reflects the idea that the most external colors of existence, the most external, outer, seemingly non-essential elements that there is in all of creation and in all of existence down to the tiniest little insignificant, what we might think insignificant aesthetics of our own existence or the world around us or all aspects of the world around us, that too is essentially minchai. It's rooted and, 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 and reflecting the existence of the true existence. It's reflecting the divine. It's something about God that is being expressed. That means this world is so godly, it's so holy. You can walk and study the garden, the botanical garden. You can study the, the fish. You can study the birds. You can study the colors of things and have an entire, an entire world of Kabbalistic and, um, 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 exploration that, can, that you can be doing, oh, let's put it this way, when Mashiach will come, and the world will finally synchronize with divinity, and everything in this world will show its true nature. So what are biologists and, and, and zoologists and who knows what else, what are all these people going to be uh, studying? So they study the nature of things, but they're all gonna be great Kabbalists. Because they're going to know God from within the creatures. And they're going to know all the nuances of Hashem that is reflected in, the, in, in every element of all creatures and of all beings down to the most external element of their colors. And that's the meaning of this animal called the Sazgaina. Called the Tachash. For that reason, we also, it will also understand why the Tachash is all the way up as, the, as one of the tapestries of the Mishkan. It's all the way on the top. The Mishkan is compiled of three different types of creatures. I mean creatures, I'm sorry. Three components. The three components of the Mishkan are the, are the utensils of the Mishkan, which is like the ark, the menorah, uh, the table the sh with the showbreads, the shulchan, the wash basin. These are called the kalim, the mizbeach, the altar. These are the Kliha Mishkan. Then there is the main skeleton of the Mishkan. The beams, the Krushim, the main walls of the Mishkan, the structure. That's the second thing. And then there are the tapestries. All the way up to the top one, the Urios, the curtains, and the one made out of Tachash. So what do these three things represent in concept? Since the Mishkan represents God dwelling in this world. What does God dwelling in this world mean? It doesn't just mean an infusion of the divine in this world. It means that too. But it doesn't just mean that. It means that in the Mishkan, there is complete transparency. In the Mishkan, creation does not block creator. Existence does not, does not conceal anything. We see... We see Everything to its ultimate truth. And that's the idea of these three different parts. We said before that in creation, 
there are three elements that make up every creature and every being. First element of every creature and every being is what? Is the fact that it exists. And as we said earlier, we all share the same element with spiritual, physical, all four different types of life, domain tzamea, chai, medaber, things that exist down here in, on planet Earth, things that are in Jupiter or in distant galaxies, stars, ocean creatures, dry land creatures, everything shares the same ideas. The fact that we exist. So what is that represented in the Mishkan? That's the skeleton of the Mishkan. That's the Krushim. The Krushim is the main structure of the Mishkan. And we know the Krushim were equal all around. The entire Mishkan, the Krushim went around. Because as we said earlier, the, the existence, the very beingness of, the, of that we share. I, I exist, you exist, the table exists, the tree exists. From non-existence to existence. And as we said before, in the Mishkan, now, we as as, as creations don't always feel that God is the bedrock of our existence, that our existence grows out of Him, that we are nothing more than just His, He exists, extending His existence into us that we should exist, but it's really His existence, not our existence. In the Mishkan, you can feel that, and that's the concept of the main structure of the Mishkan. Then there are the utensils. The utensils means each creature its properties that make this creature a unique creature in this world that belongs precisely to it. What's your particular function? And in that, God created every single species. Every species is different. A plant is a plant, an animal is an animal, a human is a human. And within the plants, different plants. And then, and then taking it even further, each, each, each member of a certain species has its uniqueness. Like we know there isn't two snowflakes that are exactly the same. That is so mind-boggling, it's crazy. You can do this today if you want, if not, you have nothing better to do. Look up uh, Google Images and look at snowflakes. I once did it. I was like busy for like three hours. It's crazy. There is no two full snowflakes. I mean, I don't know who, you know, you obviously didn't watch every snowflake, but they're the most craziest art you've ever seen. It's like cuckoo how magnificently beautiful, it's insane. And each one is a different, is a whole different shape, it's a whole different world, every kind of shape imaginable. So that means that each creature is unique and special and God doesn't create two things. And we also know there's no two, obviously if a snowflake is different, there's no human face that is the same. Every, you know, same two eyes, nose, cheeks, how you can make a millions and millions of different things is only God, right? Oh, but that's the uniqueness. And as we said earlier, the, the main idea over here is, is the functionality of it. What do you function for? What's your purpose? What's your, what's your identity? What are you all about? Every creature is different, just like in the utensils of the Mishkan. This one serves to be an Aron, and that's why you have a person who's got a brilliant mind, and they're going to be great Torah sage. And the other one is a luminary, is just someone who has the ability to light up the world. Some people are great scholars, they don't have the ability to light up people's lives. Then you have a menorah, then you'll have people that support everybody. They're like the showbreads, you know, like the table. Because they exist, everybody eats. Right? So we need those people around because they're basically taking care of everyone else. These are the ultimate uh, people who do kindness and tzedakah and so. And then there are those who keep everybody clean. 
They're very pure. They're like tzaddikim. So they're like the wash basin. Right? So we can find in the character. And then there are those who pray and they burn up with godly inspiration. And they're the, like the altars and so forth. And obviously this is very general and everybody's broken into a gazillion different... But that's the idea of the, of the, of the, of the kalim. So the kalim of the... Now, usually, as we said before, I think my characteristic is mine. It's who I am. But in the Mishkan, the point is when I came to the Mishkan, when you went to the Mishkan, when a person walked into the Mishkan, you came into a place where you can sense the divine in everything. So first of all, the Mishkan itself, all the vessels, all the physical vessels reflected their, their content as divine content. And what did it do to every single person as an individual? You felt your identity as a divine, as, as a image and reflection of God. And therefore, what are you here? You're, 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 you, you became very much in tune with your purpose and mission as a reflector of the divine in this world. But about what? Not just in the fact that you exist, but in your personality and character and, and unique qualities that make you as a unique you from all the other people in the world. So that's reflected in the Kalim of the Mishkan. And then on top of the Mishkan, above it all, is the highest makif, the highest encompassing light. And what is the, what is the idea of the highest encompassing light? The highest encompassing light is such a high expression of God's absolute truth and that there cannot be anything, 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 anything that is not Him or insignificant to Him. I mean, everything is insignificant and everything is significant because the fact that he, he wills it and he wants it to be. And therefore, what does that, that, that say? Over there we get to speak about aesthetics. We get to speak about colors. We get to speak about the most external aspects of our being. What we might look at as completely, completely, completely superficial and unimportant. And yet, the idea over here is that that too, doesn't exist only from the truth of God's existence. The truth is, on one level deeper than this, is an amazing teaching from the Alter Rebbe, Reb Shneir Zalman of Liyadi. The Alter Rebbe teaches an amazing thing. He says that when God created the world, Hashem created the world with two powers. God created <coughs> the world through speech. As we look in the story of creation, it says in ten utterances God created. Mishnah says it in Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of the Fathers, fifth chapter. With ten utterances the world was created. And then, we also know, the verse says, the Pasuk says, Kol asher Hashem asa. Whatever God desired, He made which implies that God did not create through speaking, He just created through desiring. He wants, and as He wants, so is. So which one is true? When I want, nothing happens. Oh, unless I really want, so what am I going to do? I have to actually take it further. Either I'll do it myself, because I want to, and then I'll do it, 
and then it will happen. Or if I have people who care a little bit to make me happy, so I'll say, oh, can you maybe move that table? Oh, yeah, for sure. So you'll move the table. Ah, so only if I direct it down into speech can it have an effect. But by God, it's not that way. God can, can create through speech. He himself doesn't even have to have someone do it for him when he says it. He creates through speech. But more so, just by wanting. He doesn't even have to think it, say it, just desiring it. And so it is. So which one was it by creation? Did Hashem speak the world or, or did He want the world, the desire of the world? So the Alter Rebbe says an amazing thing. He says it depends which part of the creation. Part of the creation was created through speech and part of the creation was created through desire. And here's a stunning idea. You would wonder which part was created through speech and which part desire is, is far loftier, much loftier, a much higher divine level. Because speech, as we learn in Hasidus, is already contracting. You have to contract through level after level, bringing things down to speech. Desire is like the way something is in your inner, inner, higher, uh, more essential self. It hasn't left you, as opposed to speech, which is all about funneling, channeling, limiting. So what is created through desire? So he says an amazing thing. If you look in creation, it says, God said, let there be a firmament, let there be a sky. And God said, let, there be, uh, let the earth give forth vegetation. But a strange thing, it doesn't say anything about the, the coloring and the appearance of what the vegetation should look like. There's not a word about the sky being blue. There's not a word about the shape and form of things. Now obviously, if God is saying, let there be a world, He should describe it a little bit. He should say what exactly it should look like. There isn't a word about it. There's just let there be this and let there be that. So the Alter Rebbe says like this, to create the substance of all things, God spoke. And that's why all he needed to say was, let there be the material of so and so. God created it through speech. But when it's coming, but when, we, but, but, but when it comes to the, the design of every creature, Hashem never articulated that in speech. He just, it was created exactly how he wished it. So he's speaking the, to create the material of the world. He's wishing the design of the world. So when God is creating you, your, your very substance of your body, yeah, your characteristics of what make you you, maybe God spoke that too, or to some degree thought that and developed that. But your blue eyes and the shape of your nose and exactly your complexion, the most external, silliest things about your existence that seem to be unimportant, that and, and, and precisely that is what Hashem willed because that's what He wants you to be on the pure level of will, wish. And that's true about all creatures and of all beings. The design of things, the aesthetics of things, all of that is deriving from a much higher, inner, loftier level of God. Why? I mean, why couldn't God just articulate everything in speech? So the Alter Rebbe says like this, because speech, when you speak, you're speaking to someone that's outside of you. That's what speak, speech is, communication. So communication means to communicate to somebody who's outside of you. When God created the world, He wanted the world to experience itself as something outside of Him. So He speaks the world into existence, so the world takes on a certain sense of independence. 
a feeling of I am something, not God. That comes from speech. Had God created the world completely and even our design in speech, we would be helplessly disconnected. We would never be able to find our way back to truth. That the truth is we have no existence at all other than an constant flow of infinite energy being us and making us in existence because we would be so much a spoken word, a spoken entity, so detached. So God kept a part of us, a part of us not disconnected from Him, attached to Him. And what's the part of us that's attached to Him? What's the part of us that's attached to Him? Our aesthetics. The shape of our being, of who we are exactly, that's the part of us that is still one with Him. And that's what gives us a sense of bittle, of nullification and surrender. In our very existence we have, we never left Him. We didn't leave Him in terms of our design. So it's such an upside down, Hasidus is always upside down, takes everything and flips it over. What we would think is kind of the source of the most selfishness, right? Oh, this is what I look like and so on and so forth. Quite on the contrary, that's the most divine and the most attached element of our, of our existence of being totally godly. That's the bittle. And that has no, and exactly the, well, that which we can't explain has no content. And, and the Rebbe says, the, the deeper reason why it has no content is because it's not supposed to have content. Over here, you're supposed to just be nullified to Him. When you have content, you're a something. This is who you are. This is your content. There's no content. This is just God's wish. That's it. This is just God's wish. So whether you like your nose or you don't like your nose, it's just God's wish. This is the way He designed you. This is your, your existence as He wishes you. And this is where you're still him, not someone other than him. And that's why the highest existence in the Mishkan, the Mish so everywhere else, we have to learn Hasidus first and then we can feel this. But in the Mishkan, all of this was expressed. So what was expressed? The Uriahs, which is the highest part of the Mishkan, is reflecting the, <coughs> the colors. An animal that is proud of its colors, and as we said earlier, what does that mean? That means that the most external details of this being is rooted and connected, and not just rooted and connected, but its entire essence is nothing other than, than Chai, than the true living being who's Chai. Wow, who would have ever thought that when Rashi says Min Chaya, a type of animal, we're talking about the essence of God, <laughs> who's, the, who's real Chaya. That's why Rashi probably doesn't say Min Behema type of a behemoth. We're talking about Chai, the real living being. I guess you got to be the Rebbe to see that in Rashi. That uh, Chai, Min Chai, who's Chai? Chai Aylamim, the essence of God, expressing and finding its way out into the most... I think this is very Mashiachtic. Because I think as we're, as we're... I didn't develop this thought at all. Um, <coughs> when I was preparing... The sheer, I wasn't feeling well, as I mentioned uh, last week, and I'm still not uh, back to myself. So I, I um, but I, I'm, I'm enjoying the sheer as I'm teaching it now. Other than that, I didn't give it too much thought. Sorry, that's my confession. But, um, but the little thought that I did have today that I started playing with is that as we're getting closer to Mashiach, we're becoming more 
involved in what we might call the external aesthetics of things. Because we're living in a world where the basics of existence, of life needs, and so on and so forth, thank God everybody has. You know, the world is becoming a world of plenty. Where, the, where all the work is beginning to get into is, is going to be more in the, in the beautification of things, in the beautifying of your life. And that does not have to mean superficiality and externality and being shallow and so on and so forth. In the right Moshiach, the Gawai, that, is, that will actually be the highest and deepest, most truest revelations of, the, of God's magnificent creation that's reflecting Him in the most external aspects of, of existence and in the most external aspects of life. Because that's really, in truth, rooted in pure desire of Hashem. And, and if we can tune into that and appreciate that. But the Rebbe <coughs> actually concludes, and he says that in our service of God, we also have these three things, very quickly. We have these three things in, in a mitzvah. In a mitzvah, you have the deed of the mitzvah, the action of the mitzvah. So that's compared to the crushing. That's considered to the very substance of our, of our connection to God. The very substance, let's say. The fact that your existence comes from the existence of God, the very beingness. That's the act of a mitzvah. Then there is the content of every mitzvah, which the idea of the content of the mitzvah is related to what we call kavanah of a mitzvah. When you're doing a mitzvah, you're supposed to have intentions. You're not supposed to do a mitzvah like a robot. You're supposed to do a mitzvah with, with mindfulness, with intentions. So that's the, the content of the mitzvah. You learn chasidus, you learn kabbalah, you learn, or even in the revealed part of the Torah, you read the, the, the reasons of a mitzvah. So you're supposed to be cognizant and aware when you're doing a mitzvah of these things. And then there is the last part of a mitzvah. And that is the beautification of a mitzvah. So it, it makes people would think, and it says it makes people, people it's, it's very easy to come to the conclusion that where do you have to put all your energy, where do you have to put all your effort in, in the, um, in the act of a mitzvah. Because you know, if you're missing, if you're not doing the act according to halacha, according to the requirements, the mitzvah is not a mitzvah. The most important thing is the act. But we also know a mitzvah without intention is like a body without a soul. So if you don't have any content in the mitzvah, so you say, you know what? I also have to have a, an identification with the mitzvah. I have to understand it, appreciate it, learn about it. So, and therefore I should put focused time into that. But when it comes just simply to the beautification of mitzvahs, what we call a hidur mitzvah, doing a mitzvah in ways that are according to the minhag, that's the way people have done it. People used to do a mitzvah this and this way. And today we have a world where people don't have time. They have time for everything else, but don't really have so much time for mitzvahs. So we want shortcuts. We want to get things done. One, two, three. <laughs> Prepackaged everything. You get your Seder all prepackaged. Just open up, pop the thing. You have your salt water, karpas, mara. You don't have to make the charosas. You don't have to make. Get your Hanukkah candles. You don't have to even. You know, prepare the oil, put the wick in, everything is pre-made, just pop it open, so on and so forth. But there are certain minhagim, there are certain <coughs> ways, the way these things have been done. And they were done in the way your grandmother did it, and great-grandmother did it. I'm not saying we don't have to look for the hard way of doing things, but the idea that there are certain things, eh, so what, it's only a minhag, it's only a thing, so what are we doing? 
No, but the, it's, it's, it's an, it's, can you imagine if, if, if the, if, if the, if the um, complexion of a human face and the tiniest minute detail of, of how one looks and so on and so forth is rooted in, 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 in Hashem's, as we said before, in a God's desire, higher than, he, than His speech and higher than everything, higher than the content and higher than the substance, is the design of something. So how much more when it comes to mitzvot? How did Hashem dream the mitzvah? And it's interesting, the reason why it's not a halacha and it's a minhag is just like, this is just a thought that's occurring to me, but it's related to what it says in Hasidus. Really, really phenomenal. And that is the reason why it's a minhag and it doesn't say so explicitly that you have to do so and so. It's just, a, it's just been kind of done that way. It's just like we said earlier that things that are rooted in the higher it is, it's, God didn't express it in words. It's just He wants it that way, and that's the way it is. The Jewish soul knows how, how God wants the mitzvah to be done. It's like a wife knows without her husband telling her, or a husband knows without his wife telling her after they're married 30 years. Getting there. After they're married, or at, the, at that time, they kind of they know without, I don't have to tell you, I don't even have to give you a hint. You just know intrinsically because you know the other person from your very inside, from the very being. And that's the idea of hidurim and mitzvahs. So we shouldn't think that that's superficial. Eh, it's not important. We have to put as much and perhaps even more effort in the beautifying... First of all, that a mitzvah simply should be beautiful. But what makes mitzvahs beautiful are the ways that it was done according to the minhagim that has passed on from generations. That's how we know what's beauty in a mitzvah. And these things need to be done very seriously. Just like we find that the highest part of the Mishkan was the hider with those splendored colors of that tachash animal. May we merit <coughs> already that we should see in all the colors and in all the, in all the, in all the details of the world the true existence of God, which will be revealed with the coming of Mashiach, and may it be now.